Parshas Vayigash, a blissful moment of peace in, for the Jewish family, a blissful moment of peace for the Jewish nation. This is the meta theme, as we will see, of Parshas Vayigash. As the culmination of the Mechiris Yosef story, the model story of descent in the Jewish family, Jewish nation. It is from where, it's to where we turn. It, it inspires in us how to cope, how to deal with the enduring issue of Jewish infighting. Much as our ancestors, the Shvatim of old, fought, but eventually found reconciliation in our parasha and achieve that coveted, blissful moment of peace which we seek to recapture. So let's dig into the parsha and develop it accordingly. The parsha begins with a dramatic showdown between Yehuda and Yosef. Yosef, disguised as the Egyptian viceroy, Tzafnas Paneach, seeks to hold on to Binyamin, and Yehuda is pleading his case to let him go. And this is the final showdown. It is in response to Yehuda's entreaties and pleas that Yosef reveals himself and he embraces his brothers and he invites the whole family down to Mitzrayim and supports them and creates a viable Jewish community who's safe and secure under his protection. So it's very clear that indeed the theme of the parsha is conflict resolution. And in this regard, the hero of the story is certainly Yosef. The way Yosef allows bygones to be bygones, he doesn't hold grudges, he's magnanimous towards his brothers. Not only does he embrace them, but he actually invites them down and he feeds them and takes care for them. He somehow has within him that magical ability to reconcile. So the first clue we point to is to Yosef. In terms of this existential, enduring issue of Jewish infighting and how to reach Jewish reconciliation, Yosef would certainly be the first address to whom we turn to learn how to do this. And it's very interesting what Yosef says. Yosef tells his brothers, you know, I appreciate that it, for, as, for all the travails which I experienced, the suffering which I experienced, I don't want you to feel bad. Don't feel bad. You sold me. Hashem sent me down here to become the family support. Yosef takes his personal experience and instead of pointing the fingers at the brothers, he says, it's not about you. It's really about Hashem. This is not simply a from a statement, a devout statement of bitach and it was Hashem. But this is what allows a person to overcome negativity, resentment, when he recognizes that for all the malice which other people intended towards him, something good was behind it. A loving creator was behind it. As evident by the fact that 
not in spite of him being sold down, because he was sold down, he's now in a position to bestow chesed upon the fame. And we find this notion in several svarim, including the Sefer HaChinuch, that he talks about. The way to deal with resentment towards people is to recognize it's really all from Hashem. And I would like to explain much in the Yosef case. It's not simply a from devout statement, Hashem and his Hashkach is orchestrating things, so don't have tainas on your friend, it's God. No. What's go- what, what the... Sefer Achinach, like is availing to us is a much more healing approach. The recognition that it's really Hashem at work means there's somebody good, there's something good behind all of this. If it's from Hashem, it must be good. And this subtly changes everything, you see. Because how do we cope with pain? How do we cope with resentment towards people? Really, the only balm to our wound could be the realization, my suffering was not in vain, there was something good here. And it is the faith in that goodness behind it, as only Hashem could enable, which gives us something positive to latch onto, and therefore we are not sunken down. We need not linger in the morosis of resentment I can elevate to a higher position despite my pain because there is this tove, there is this goodness which faith alone can provide, which allows the pained individual to latch onto, and that's what we learn from Yosef. Now, an important clarification is necessary. This notion that Hashem was really behind the aggressor's evil is certainly not whitewashing the aggressor of their wrongdoing. Yiddishkeit believes in personal responsibility. And I, I would argue it's not even healthy for us, for a victim to say, ah, aggressor, I know it really wasn't you. There is room for a healthy recognition, you did it to me. But rather, as we're describing, it's although you did the act to me, the act has a greater context. There's a Hashem behind it. So it is not changing but rather reframe. You did the act to me, but let's reframe. There's a larger perspective here, a goodness Hashem behind it all, which allows me to elevate myself to that higher position, not sinking to resentment, because there's a there's a there's something heart heartening. There's there's something which balms my soul and my spirit here within all of the pain. And this understanding can be traced in the Pasuk itself. This understanding that Yosef's not whitewashing the brothers of their crime. He's simply saying, you, you might have done the act, but there's a broader perspective here. Because notice how he says very really clearly. In the very same sentence of al yichar don't feel bad, he says, don't feel bad, that you sold me. He's making no bones about it. They sold him. You sold me. However, God sent me here. You sold me, but God sent me. The difference between the two expressions is they sold him, they did the act. God sent me, Shlachani, connotes a mission, a purpose. One is sent on a mission, one is sent towards a goal. 
That is talking from this broader perspective. Beyond the act of Mechira, which they clearly did, there is a divine mission, a divine shlichas at work, and that distinction, that healthy distinction is clearly drawn, and you will actually notice that he uses the words shiluach, God sent me, again and again in this passage, shlachani elukim, and then he says vayishlachani elukim lefnechem, and then he says loatem shilachtemosi, you didn't send me, rather Hashem sent me, shiluach is that neon color phrase throughout this passage. What the Torah wants to stress here is the notion of shlichas, of a mission, of a purpose. There can be good, positive purpose behind even something evil, which, can, which is fully congruent with acknowledging that the act itself, such as the machartamosi, was committed by you guys. So this is, a, I think, a very helpful, useful approach to rising to the high ground rather than the low ground when dealing with the whole resentment issue, which we see right here in our parsha, And that's what Yosef, I believe, teaches us. And really this whole perspective that we've been developing tonight, Parsha Svayigash is a parsha of reconciliation, of learning how to overcome resentment, how to overcome dissension without feeling resentment any longer, to the extent that Yosef can literally support his brothers in Mitzrayim, not only sounds right and resonant, this seems to be the issue in the parsha, but there's actually a splendid textual pattern within the parsha, which points to this theme. Because my friends, as you know very well, as frequent Shear attendees, you know my thesis that every parsha has a word, a phrase, which appears in pivotal places throughout the parsha, pointing to the overarching idea or message. The word for parsha's vayigash is very clear. It is the word vayigash itself. Of course, the parsha begins with vayigash love Yehuda. Yehuda approached him. Yehuda approached Yosef to plead his case. So vayigash, he approached him. And then later in the parsha, the word reappears again. When Yosef reveals himself to his brothers, Vayomer Yosef Alechov, Gishunai draw close to me. When he sees his brothers are very uncomfortable, Yosef had just pulled off his mask, so to speak, revealed himself. I am Yosef who you sold, and suddenly they are all bashful. Yosef says, Gishunai draw close to me. That word Vayigash. That word which previously described Yehuda's behavior towards him, by Yigash Elav Yehuda. Well, now Yosef is speaking in such terms, Gishuna Eli, draw close to me, and it says, in fact, Vayigashu, they draw too close to, to him. The coincidence is too great that that expression which began our parsha, describing how Yehuda, with fear and trepidation, not knowing what would happen next, approached Yosef is now reappearing in the moment of happily ever after, in reverse, from Yosef in conversation to the Yehuda and the other brothers, when he says, draw close to me, Gishu, that word, vayigash, vayigash, when they draw close. And then finally, in the end of the parsha, when Yosef settles the brothers in the land of Mitzrayim, the name of the place in Mitzrayim where Yosef settles them down is called Eretz Goshen, the land of Goshen, you see that Shoresh Yigash right there in the word Goshen. Again, 
The coincidence is too great. I think we can appreciate that the word keeps on appearing throughout the parsha. There's an art here to all of this. The, the aesthetic sense which the parsha wants to connote is this is a parsha all about gisha. The word gisha means drawing near. When those who feel distant from each other draw, 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 draw near to each other. Yehuda draws near to Yosef to plead his case in the beginning of the parasha. And then Yosef and the brothers draw close in the middle of the parasha. And there is a further drawing close despite past dissension. In the end of the parasha, when Yosef, set, when Yosef settles them in the land called Goshen, the land called drawing close. It's a beautiful pattern in the parasha which kind of brings it all together. This is what Parshas Vayigash, the parasha of drawing close, is all about. And based on this, my attention is now directed in another direction. Until now, I looked at the hero of reconciliation as Yosef. Yosef, who somehow had some unfathomable reservoir of gutzkite, of benevolence, to overcome all of the suffering of the past and all the room for resentment that he could have had and receive his brothers magnanimously. Well, that's true. But now, based on the Vayigash pattern, my attention is drawn to a different persona. It's drawn to the persona of Yehuda, because it is Yehuda who opens the first Vayigash scene in our parsha. Vayigash, they love Yehuda. The drawing near is happening from Yehuda's end. Now, of course, on a level of Pshat, you simply see it as Yehuda is walking forward towards the throne of the Egyptian viceroy. He, to plead a case here, to petition, right? But now on a deeper level, appreciating the Vayigash pattern and what that opening, this opening scene in the parsha is conveying to our sensitive ear here. There's something deeper going on. There's a gisha, there's a drawing near to Yosef. Now he might not realize it. He thinks this is an Egyptian viceroy. But I'm going to suggest in light of what we developed, that there's something grander going on with the term and the phrase Gisha in our parsha. Something deeper is going on when Yehuda walks forward. More than simply diplomacy and petitioning a king, a king is going on here. Whether Yehuda realizes it or not, there is some deeper secret here of reconciliation, something which starts the whole Vayigash ball moving. And the truth is, it is really clear this way in the Medrash. The Medrash understands that beyond Yehuda's intention, beyond Yehuda's intention that he was pleading a case to some distant Egyptian viceroy, says the Medrash, in fact, it was the power of Yehuda's expression which stirred Yosef's heart and convinced Yosef to reveal himself to his brothers and reveal himself magnanimously. That actually, unbeknownst to Yehuda, Yehuda was setting this reconciliation ball into motion. He was stirring Yosef's heart. And the Medrash provides a very interesting martial metaphor for this. The Medrash says, there was a 
subterranean, below-ground well, a reservoir of water that was deep below the ground, and no one could, could quite reach the reservoir. They tied a rope to a rope, a rope to a rope, and finally they had an enlarged rope with a pail attached to the bottom through which they were able to reach the water. So too, it says, Yehuda strung together word to word, word to word. Each of Yehuda's words were like another string in this rope that eventually were able to touch Yosef's heart. And the power of the mashal, I believe, comparing Yosef's heart to that deep below ground well. Just like water, elusive water, when people's thirst is parched, there's a certain toxicity to thirst. Water is so elusive. But you could find that water, you could find that life if you dig deep enough. Well, there is no less toxicity when we have machlokas, when we have dissension. Yosef's heart seems so elusive. The spring of water, life, that which will quench our thirst, that which will dispel the toxicity, seems so elusive because there is such room here for potential resentment. Yosef's heart ought to be so distant from his brother's. Yosef has had to don many a layer of Teflon suits, many a layer of armor upon his heart, toughing it up towards his brothers to simply survive what they did to them. But just as the people who, in the Medrash's tale, are stringing together a rope, trusting that there is that water there, Yehuda speaking to this Egyptian viceroy, because Yehuda, of course, does not know what's truly going on. But he knows, if nothing else, he's dealing with an argumentative person. He doesn't know quite why, but he knows he's dealing with a foe of sorts. But Yehuda never gives up on the hope that there's a heart here. This man has a heart deep down. And therefore, let me speak to him with the faith that there's that heart there. There's that reservoir of water, which will dispel all toxicity, all issues which have existed between us until now. Now again, in Yehuda's mind, he's dealing with the toughness, the argumentative nature of a government bureaucrat. In truth, he's even dealing with a more sensitive foe, a brother with sibling rivalry and resentment and all of that. Ultimately, Yehuda's successful in finding that heart, finding that humanity, finding that reservoir of water, i.e. that source of life, that source of vitality, that which will dispel the toxicity of resentment. And it is all due to the power of Yehuda's presentation. Because when you read the Pesukim on a level of Pshat, Yehuda speaks with a certain respect, with a certain dignity, with a certain darachares, and with a certain pleasantness, frankly. He says, Be Adoni, please my master. Yedaber na avdecha. Right? Oh, my master, please. 
Yitaper Noabdacha, please let your servant speak. Dover Ba'aznei. Right? He not only deferentially addresses him as his master, but he says, please. Which on the level of Pshat means he says, I'm giving, as Rashi says, I am giving you respect no less than I would give Paro. Now again, in Yehuda's mind, he's simply playing a good diplomacy game. He's showing respect. He might hate this guy's guts, this guy who is about to abduct his brother. But for the purpose of interaction, diplomatic interaction, he's doing it with Darach Haritz, he's doing it with civility. No, please. Well, unbeknownst to Yehuda, the power of civility here is actually touching Yosef's heart as we studied from the Medrash before. Civil discussion, despite issues which people have, is a very, very powerful thing. And even if the people's civility is motivated by ulterior motives, such as speaking obsequiously to a government official, as Yehuda perceives it, or diplomacy, at the end of the day, civil discourse is powerful. And it is so powerful that it yields an effect which Yehuda would never appreciate, according to the measures we studied before. It touches Yosef's heart that was buried under so many layers. And therefore, developing the opening Vayigash, as we're developing it based on the Medrash and based on our textual pattern, I would say Yehuda is no less a model than Yosef for us in terms of how to deal with infighting. And that is Vayigash, draw close. Dialogue. Dialogue has a magical power. Keep open the channels of communication. Civil communication. Of course, toxic communication is harmful. But Yehuda-esque conversation. You might hate the guy's guts. Yehuda hates this Egyptian viceroy's guts. And in truth, it's Yosef, he and Yehuda have even more sensitive toxic feelings between them. But nonetheless... If you could keep a civil dialogue going, keep it going, that is a vayigash within itself, and that gets the gisha ball moving, the power of civil dialogue. That we, of course, know the truth. Yehuda's talking to, while he believes he's talking to Egyptian viceroy, in truth, it's two brothers talking together, it's two Jews talking together. And certainly when two Jews talk together, if the conversation could be a civil yadabarna, davar type of conversation... There's a magic to Jewish dialogue when we can do it civilly. Now, based on our presentation thus far, you might say this all sounds good in theory. This all sounds nice a nice romantic, almost quixotic notion of kumbaya and coming together after we have issues. Yosef's let bygones be bygones. Yehuda's ability to have civil dialogue with someone he hates, both the person he, be- he believes he's talking to and the person who in fact he's talking to. But this seems so detached from the sort of machlokas and rivalries which we have. Uh, 
I mean, we are not feeling civil towards the person. How, how can we conduct a civil conversation with the person? But I would like to suggest that as the model of Vayigas drawing close to an opponent, the Parsha is not in the clouds. The Parsha is not distant from us. We can actually find ourselves in the Parsha. Ourselves, people who are inflamed with hurt, tainas towards other people. And nonetheless, can manage all of those dynamics amidst the dialogue. Because let's dig deeper now, and we'll see how deeply we find ourselves, how in the personas of Yosef and Yehuda, we find people with very deep emotions here, which they are managing and can teach us in turn, turn how to manage. Because while on a level of pshat, there's a civil dialogue going on here, again and again, midrashically, we see a lot of tension in the air. For starters, in Yehuda's opening words, Kichamocha Keparo, when he tells Yosef, or in his mind, the Egyptian vice, where you're like Paro, well, says Rashi, aside from the Pshat meaning we studied till now, that he's saying, you are Chashev, you are eminent to my eyes like Paro. On a deeper Midrashic level, there is a latent threat here. You're like Paro, if you don't let Binyamin go, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill Paro too. Whereas Rashi says, on a different Midrashic interpretation, you're just like the Paro many years ago who abducted Sarah, my, my grandmother, great-grandmother, and was struck down. You'll be struck down too. Now that doesn't sound like civil stuff. That sounds like the type of revengeful thoughts which we feel towards aggressors. And kichamocha kibano, powwow. And when we want to pull off a powwow towards our aggressors, our aggressors, we don't take it standing down. And when you read the Medrash Rabbah, you read the type of the graphic imagery of the Medrash to describe Yehuda's fury at this guy. It speaks of Yeh- Yosef and Yehuda as two kings wrestling with each other. And it says that Yehuda was, his heart was thumping so deep and his rage was so ferocious that the chest hairs on his body spiked up like porcupine spikes, says the Medrash, until they penetrated his clothing. And it says Yehuda picked up in anger pieces of metal and gnashed at them with his teeth until they became little pieces of metal dust. And after seeing that display of strength, and virility on the part of Yehuda. Yosef was not about to be outdone. He signaled to his son Menashe, who kicked a mound, and the whole palace shook. And the Medrash continues, Yehuda said to himself, this seems like one of us. Yeah? It's my favorite line in the Medrash. We're strong, but I would argue deeper, we Jews know how to fight. Yeah, anyone who's fighting this passionately, he's one of us. He's fighting like a Jew. He's argue, arguing like a Jew. Yeah, we don't argue, we don't debate this passionately. 
But here we have, the upshot is here we have, in the various midrasha, both cited by Rashi and Beyonce in the Medrash Rabbah, really a very spiteful, thick with tension scene, which I actually find heartening in its authenticity. Because when there's deep issues between us, these terms, right, the thumping, the spiked up chest hair, the kicking at mounds of dirt, yeah, this is where we feel, this is where we're at. Our parsha is speaking to us. Much as its theme is reconciliation, it is addressing all of the thickness, the almost tangible thickness of dispute. And now the question becomes, how do we make sense out of all this? That on one hand, on a level of pshat, the psukim speak of Yehuda's vayigash as a respectful civil discussion of and as we trace that as what Vayigash, that's what drawing close is all about civility. Well, somehow in the Medrash, there seems to be something less than civil here. And I'm deeply intrigued by this question. Not only Liyashev to understand how Medrash and Pshat works together, but in terms of the human condition. Because we feel deeply uncivil to people. And there must be a way to be civil as much as we are feeling uncivil. And I think the key will be to understand in our parsha how these two caricatures of Yehuda and Yosef come together. The pshat, read of the parsha's civil discourse with the medrash's tumultuous, I want to eat you alive sort of thing. And what I would like to suggest is The Torah itself is dealing with this issue, bridging the civility with the tension in its division between Pshat and Drush. You see, it's never a coincidence what the Torah includes in the level of Pshat, the simple read of the text, and what the Torah includes in the level of Medrash. Pshat, which is the simple surface read, I believe reflects the simple surface event. If you are looking at the event simply with your eyes, you'll see pshat. You'll see what the pshat reports. Medrash from the word drash, seeking, seeking something deeper. Medrash is always portraying deeper dynamics that we all know. A person who knows how to read between the lines, a person who really understands human psychology. They'll take a scene which on the surface is one thing and be able to read deep insinuations of deeper dynamics. So Medrash, and this is by the way the key to understand many seemingly Paul Bunyan-esque far-fetched Midrashim, Midrashim are coming not to deal with the straight observation of events, but rather deeper human emotions. And of course when you deal with deeper human emotions, the, the leaps of imagination best portray the 
such dynamics as reflected by these sort of accounts in the measure, such as the ones we studied about Yehuda. So the point is, the drash is picking up on the depth of Yehuda's heart, the depth of Yosef's heart. In the depth of their heart, they are furious at each other. They want to eat each other alive and leave no morsel, morsel of their enemy for anyone else to eat. Hair, chest hair is spiking. They're kicking mounds. This is Jews fighting. He's one of us. Yeah, that's in the deep realm of the psyche. But Pshat doesn't include that. Because on the surface level, on the functional level, Yehuda doesn't talk that way. Yehuda simply uses the words in the Chumash, Biatuni, my master, Yedaber na, please, pretty please. He speaks civilly. It's as simple as that. That, that is the beauty of how the Pshat and the Medrash come together in each one's respective domain to provide an ever-richer account of how to deal with dissension, validating all the internal dynamics which we have as the Medrash is picking up on Yehuda and Yosef's part. But on the functional level, as respected by the Pshat, you still speak civilly. So yes, indeed. Accept the tension one has internally with their opponent. But at the same time, on the functional level, you could speak civilly, and that does a magic. That does a magic. We, we, we all can attest to this. All of us who have been redeemed from the morosis of resentment and negativity towards other people. Somehow, when we can bring ourselves to speak civilly and interact as we ought to, despite the complex feelings in our heart, that just works a magic. It works a magic. As, the, as an earlier Medrash we cited today spoke about Yosef's heart turning over. Yes, somehow the heart just turns over when Yehuda's able to speak civilly, however he is feeling. And whatever is motivating Yehuda to do this, of course Yehuda's motivated in his mind by diplomacy. It's okay to be a little of a diplomat. And despite your complex feelings towards someone, conduct positive civil discourse simply for diplomatic reasons, whatever the motivation is. But there's a magic to that. And that's the power of the Vayigash as it unfolds from Yehuda's discussion and then evolves into Geshunei Lai Vayigashu when Yosef and the brothers truly start to draw near as the term appears later in our parasha. And then finally in our parsha Eretz Goshen, when you have this idyllic perspective of the Jewish family sitting around the table again, certainly living together in the city, right? And all being able to share, and certainly on Yosef's part, share and give to them despite what they did to him. This is, this is kind of the, that blissful moment of peace in the Jewish family, the Jewish nation, it's not only a story, but our parish has a full treatment of that theme and subject is allowing us to glean really the secret of how we do this. <coughs> now having firmly 
establish the Vayigash theme, the theme of reconciliation in our parasha. And having established that it's not simply a story of old, but this is that applicable, transportable issue. Because like our Shvatim of old, we Jews tend to fight a lot. So it's a key parsha. I think we could, with that in mind, go a step deeper now. And appreciate the placement, the context of the story and this parsha. The Jewish people are settling into Mitzrayim, Gullus Mitzrayim, the exile in Egypt here. It is no coincidence that they are settling into the first Gullus due to a story like this. Notice how we are exiled due to strife. Mechiras Yosef is the setting for the exile. Well, the fact that they settle in exile with reconciliation in our parish, I would suggest, is teaching us. This issue, the ability to reconcile with opponents, this is the great Nisayan, this is the great challenge of the exile. And the Jewish people's ability to do this from the very onset of Gaul's Mitzrayim will really be formative in terms of how the Gaulus works out. Ultimately, it will be formative in terms of a Geula happening, getting out of here. That we can only settle in, down in Mitzrayim and Gaulus Mitzrayim with reconciliation because if we would settle in, in Mitzrayim only with dispute, the toxicity would be so great that then this would seem like a recipe for disaster. That much as Gaulus is precipitated by infighting, the hope, the hope here, the ability to have some hope of Geula hinges upon the reconciliation as we see in our parish. That would be my theory. That would be my sentiment to why it is so important that the reconciliation happens literally at the onset of Gaulus. This is resonance because we know it's true throughout Jewish history that infighting is the Gullus issue, not only in this story. Gullus Mitzrayim, where they settle, where they are brought there due to Mechiris Yosef. But you'll see it again and again. For example, later in Jewish history, the Malchus, the kingdom of Israel, divides into two. You have the kingdom of the ten tribes breaking off from Malchus based of it. Now, the kingdom of the, of the Aseris HaShvat and the Ten Tribes is ruled by descendants of Yosef from Ephraim and Menashe. So the Ten Tribe kingdom is called the Malchus of Yosef. While Malchus based of it is the Malchus of Yehuda. Now, so it's very clear that the division in the Malchus is a rehashing of the old Yehuda-Yosef struggle as in the build-up to our parasha. And it's significant because we know what happens to the Ten Tribes. Because the Ten Tribes broke away from... Malchus based on from the rest of the Jewish people, well, eventually they were led into Gullus. They were led into exile by Sancheir of Malchashor into the Assyrian Gullus. And it's doubtful if they'll ever return, as Chazal tells. So we have yet another story of infighting as a source of Gullus. And of course, we can cite other examples, including the present Gullus, when the Gemara tells us, by Yashani, the final second base of with this longest period of Gullus, was... cemented by sinas chinam, by baseless hatred. And hence, 
says the Gemara, you see how horrible this sin is, because the Gullus, this Gullus has been much more long, much longer than previous Gullus sin, including the 70 years of Gullus Bava. It wasn't so severe, only 70 years the first time around, because they committed the three carnal sins, Avodazar, Shvichastam, Gili, Arais, but not Sinaschina. But Sinaschina, that is a horrible cause of Gullus. So here we have yet again, baseless hatred, infighting as a cause for Gullus. Well, as with every pattern in Torah, there's a certain resonance taking shape here. Returning to our original story, the Yosef and the Brothers story, that if we're seeing across the great arc of Jewish history, Jewish infighting is, is the cause of Gullus. Well, we begin to see how it takes shape. Our parsha is truly a modeling story. The first Gullus due to Mechiris Yosef, and therefore the import that it be modeled in that story itself. Yes, there's gullus due to infighting, but there's hope. The Jewish family is reaching some reconciliation even within the gullus itself. And this appreciation, this deeper read of our parsha, based on its context at the onset of Gullus Mitzrayim, based on its context as the modeling story of subsequent gullus, Well, voice for this perspective can be found in a well-known medrash cited by Rashi. The Torah tells us in our parsha that after Yosef reveals himself to his brothers and he cries and he hugs, well, the, the deepest embrace is with his closest brother, Binyamin. <coughs> Yosef and Binyamin fall on each other's necks and cry. Explains the Medrash they're crying because they envision future Chabanas, future destructions. Yosef is crying on Binyamin's neck because he envisions the two Bati Mekdashas, the two temples, which will be destroyed in Binyamin's portion. And Binyamin's crying on Yosef's neck because he envisions Chorban Mishkan Shilu, the destruction of the Mishkan and Shilu, which will happen in Yosef's portion. And the question is, what is the deeper meaning of this Medrash? Why at this moment, in this cherished moment of brotherly reconciliation, are Yosef and, Yehu, are Yosef and Binyamin not allowing themselves to enjoy the present happiness, but thinking to these particular troubling events of the future? the Chorbanos, the destructions which will happen in each one's respective portion. Well, we now have the tools to answer that question because we traced, what we traced is that this story here in Parshas Vayigash, the culmination of the Mechiras Yosef story with its poignant hope that hopefully we could get this thing right. This is not an isolated story. This is the modeling story of Gullus. This is the modeling story of Chorbanos. So Yosef and Binyamin are thinking to the future. Yes, this is going to repeat itself. There's going to be future destructions, Nebuch. And if only our descendants will turn to us and learn from our mistakes and hopefully learn from some of our successes as well, learn from our ability to reconcile here to, within the gutless, to hopefully sow the seeds of Geula to bring this gutless to a close. And there's a final well-known medrash, which while it is well-known, 
its meaning is elusive or has been elusive till now. And you and I will be able to unlock it, unravel the meaning of the Medrash and see how it captures what we've been discussing tonight, the magic of reconciliation as really the key to make the Gullus experience a little more savory, a little more hopeful for Gul. I'm referring to here the Medrash cited by Rashi at the end of the parsha, When Yosef sends up to his father to bring his father and family down to Mitzrayim, he sends agalos, wagons, wagons to bring them down. And Medrash rereads the word agalim, wagons, as agala, a calf, as an egla arufa, the calf whose neck is broken, as we are taught in Parsha Shoftim, if there's a murder between two cities and that there needs to be atonement, that this murder happened to the Jewish people, so there's a ritual. We break the neck of a calf. Well, Yosef is alluding to that concept, Egla Rufa, the breaking of the neck, that ritual. He's somehow alluding to that with a play on words via the Agalim, the, the wagons he sends his father. Similar word, because he and his father had years before, before they left each other, studied that mitzvah together. That, that's the well-known metric. And as with many midrashim, it's so strange. It seems so far-fetched. A cutesy mnemonic about Agalim and Agalah, a wagon, the wagon's taking them down. Well, somehow that's reread as a reference to the calf of Aglarufa because they happened to study that so many years before. Well, why is that significant? Why is it significant? Why does Aglarufa just happen to, happen to creep up in the story? And why is it particularly represented by the wagons taking them down to Mitzrayim? What does that have to do with the Pshat meaning of the story? As with every Medrash here, there's more than simply a tale here, a Midrashic tale. Somehow this medrash is picking up on the theme of the pshat itself. Let's unravel this together. Egla Rufa, that mitzvah, when there's a murder, when there's a dead corpse found between two cities, is not some distant mitzvah at all. It is very, very relevant to the story happening here. Because the mitzvah of Egla Rufa is responding to the problem of Jew kills Jew, murder in the Jewish community. And the need which their surrounding cities have, or the closest city has, to atone for murder in their midst, to atone for lack of civility within the Jewish community. That, that, that is what the Jewish people are experiencing in this very period of Mechiras Yosef. We are going down to Mitzrayim with the stigma of Mechiras Yosef with the stigma of incivility which came close to Jew murders Jew. The original plan, as you recall, was to murder Yosef. Let's kill him. And you'll immediately begin to appreciate if we can call Mechiras Yosef the model Eglarufa story, the model of, attempt, of Jew kills Jew, or at least attempted Jew kills Jew, in the very first Jewish family here. Well, you'll immediately appreciate why the mitzvah for generations, always involves slashing the neck of particularly an egla calf. 
Because Eglon Tanakh represents who? who? Which individual is symbolized as either an ox or a young calf? That's, of course, Yosef. The Harshar Hagrilo, Ali Shur. Yosef is always called an Egla, a calf. He's called an ox. And, of course, in his youthful incarnation, when he's 17 years old and nabbed by his brothers, he would be a calf. So now we appreciate such, so resonantly that whenever there's a murder in the Jewish community and we simulate the murder by breaking the neck of a calf and we point at that as though it's the murderer's blood and we say our hands did not spill that blood, we recognize we need to atone for it, we are echoing to the story of Yosef and his brothers of old. We're taking responsibility. We are having realization that this is an old issue which we were taught by our ancestors, the Shvatim themselves, all about this. The challenges, but hopefully eventually the ability to atone for it as we're seeing in our parsha. Indeed, it's no coincidence that Egla Rufa is figuring in our parsha. Indeed, it's no coincidence that seen this way, that every Egla Rufa simulates murder with a broken neck of a calf in the form of Yosef. And there's many other parallelisms between Egla Rufa and Yosef, but we'll suffice with that for now. So now we understand why this Egla Rufa theme, the theme of taking responsibility for uncivility in the Jewish community, bordering or culminating in murder, is symbolized by the wagons taking the Jewish people down to Mitzrayim. Beyond the cutesy play and words that Agolim becomes Egla, the wagons taking the Jewish people down to Mitzrayim, that is the force of the Gullus itself. That is, their movement down to Mitzrayim in these wagons has to be reseen, has to be reframed. Not Agalim, but Egla Rufa. They must be going down to Mitzrayim with this commitment to reconcile, to deal with the Jew kills Jew, the Jew hates Jew thing. Their wagons must become that. The spirit of their descent down to Mitzrayim must rise to that. That is the key to make their gullus survivable. That is the key to really what our parsha is focusing on. Why the Jewish people have to settle down in Mitzrayim with the civility, eventually in Eretz Goshen, the land of drawing near itself. This is what creates the promises of Geula then. This is what creates the promise of Geula now. To conclude now, when we turn to the Haftorah, we will see how so many strands we wove together. The Yosef and Yehuda drawing near, not only physically, but their hearts slowly drawing near. The hope of Geula, which this sparks, the way this deals with existential Gullus issues. Well, it's all there in the Haftorah, woven together harmoniously. Because the Haftorah says as follows. It says, Write Yehuda on one stick, and Eitzacharuk Sovlov Yosef. You have one stick that's the Yosef stick, one that's the Yehuda stick. 
draw them near one to the other. It's so clear that that is simulating the Vayigash scene in our parasha. Yosef and Yehuda are drawing near together. This stick against that stick will seem this way. It is an exchange which can be fraught with potential animus. Vayigash, they love Yehuda. One would expect animus. But ultimately, they're drawing near. So what happens? No, they draw near. They become close. Reconciliation happens. And this is what promises the Geul at the end of days. Hashem explains, you know what that represents? I'm going to bring them to their land. We're going to become one people upon the land. With one king. One king as in a joint Malchus based of, but ultimately one king as in Hashem. We will no longer be descended as two people. Well, here we have it's laid out. The drawing near despite dissension. This is the existential Gaulus Geula issue. From the first Gaulus all the way to the Gaulus at the end of days. And you also hear in the words the Haftorah here why it is that Gaulus is the central, the existential, why Machlokas versus Achdus, dissension versus reconciliation, is the critical Gaulus issue. It is because we truly unify in the land of Israel. As Gayachad, Alad Masamu, Melachachad, there is a natural glue which holds the Jewish people together, where we are living as an autonomous people, clinging together with the force of the land to connect us, with the unifying force of a government to connect us, right? as opposed to when we are in Gaulus, when we are scattered amongst the nations when it's much harder to hold, hold together. Well, this is why when we have machlokas, we now understand as we traced so many times. Again and again, it's machlokas, which is the, which is the catalyst for Gullus, because if we have dissension in our hearts, mida k'nak and mida, the consequence becomes the dissension, the dispersion of Gullus. But it is when we get this right, it is when the parashas vayigash happens, not only in the original parashas vayigash, but ultimately through the Gullus and down to the end of days, and we learn to reconcile, we learn to come together, right? Then we can have the unifying force of Yishev Haaretz. Well, this is not simply a pipe dream. As we study throughout the Parsha tonight, there's a way to do this. The Parsha's honest, the Parsha lays, the, certainly the, the Midrashic treatment of the Parsha lays out, lays out just how ferocious infighting could be. These are real, real issues, but there's a way to do it. There's a way to dialogue with those issues. There's a way to be big and magnanimous like Yosef and overcome resentment and not allow those worst devils in the human condition to, to surface. There's a way to be big, there's a way to reconcile. This is the power of the harmonious tapestry we've woven together through the Parsha. This is the very, really very powerful idea which ought to be impactful in all of us as we deal with this very real issue in human life, in Jewish life. Thank you very much.